Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you today. Happy Mother's Day uh, to all of the moms uh, today. Uh, my oldest made me a, a cup of coffee first thing this morning in a mug that says, Mom is always right. And I'm going to use that all day today to remind my kids. Uh, I hope that lasts today. Uh, well, you know, Mother's Day uh, uh, so often is a day of gratitude and celebration and, and sweet memories. Uh, and just want to acknowledge today, I'm also keenly aware, and I know in my own life, that uh, for a variety of reasons, Mother's Day can be a hard day sometimes. Um, and so uh, if today is a day that surfaces some pain or regret or longing or other emotions in some way, um, if it feels messy today, I just want to remind you, uh, wherever you find yourself, the Lord welcomes you to this place, and Jesus invites you to come just as you are. And I'm so grateful for the way that our Lord invites us to do that. Well, today we're going to continue in our series, Encounter Joy, a seven-week experiment in sparking joy all around us. And I'm so excited about what God has been doing in our midst. Uh, because we believe that each one of us is uniquely positioned in places of influence to spark joy. And so we're working on this together. We're trying to notice places in our lives where joy may be missing. And we're imagining what we can do to spark joy. I love the story of the Kreider kids bringing some Gatorade. Uh, those simple kinds of things that we can do, those joy experiments to help spark joy joy all around us. And I love the stories I'm already hearing. Some things that you're working on, you haven't done yet, but you're putting the plans together. And some of you have already tried some things. I'm hearing stories of meeting needs in our community, of cool porch drop-offs and paying for meals, extravagant encouragement that's happening. Uh, I, I'm hearing about some cool ways to show appreciation for healthcare workers in our community. I'm hearing about sparking joy for strangers at area coffee shops and restaurants. I love that. Uh, creative social media engagement that's happening uh, and so much more. And I know that it's sparking joy in our community, not just for the recipients, but for us too. Have you noticed that? When we get to help spark joy for others, it gives us joy. In the process. I love that about the kingdom of God. So I want to encourage you to continue to think and pray about what God might be inviting you to do to spark joy in your places of influence. And I want to ask you as well, would you tell us about what you're experiencing? Ways that you're working to spark some joy or ways that some joy has been sparked for you. So right there uh, in your seat racks, you'll find a connect card. Would you pull one out right now and just jot us a note about what's sparking joy? Maybe it's something that you've done like dropping off some Gatorade or, or something that someone has done for you. You can put your name on the card. You don't have to. Totally up to you. But would you tell us? Because part of this whole process is that we want to tell stories together and we want to celebrate. So if you would, take a Connect card right now, jot us a note about Sparking Joy, and then you can put that uh, in the box when you exit today. If you're joining us online, we're so glad you're with us, and you'll find a link in the chat for the online Connect card, and you can tell us as well about what's Sparking Joy. 
And I want to encourage you, friends, keep noticing, keep walking around, eyes wide open, because God is moving and he is inviting us to join what he is doing. So let's keep stepping out of our comfort zones. Let's keep experimenting. And as we do so, we leave the outcomes to him. Aren't you glad we get to do that? We leave the outcomes to him as we step out in faith. Well, today, uh, I want us to talk a little bit about how grace sparks joy. That's our focus today, grace sparks joy. As we talk about that, I I want to tell you again a a story that I've shared with you before about a grace encounter in my own life. Um, And it's it's the story of a huge blunder, a really horrible mistake that I made a few years ago, which became a very transformative moment in my life. It was a moment I meant well, but I'm telling you, I messed up. I put my foot in my mouth in a horrible way. I was, what happened is uh, I, I hurt my friend Kylie deeply by betraying the confidence. And it was an honest mistake. I'm, I'm telling you, I wasn't trying to hurt my friend. But maybe you've been in this kind of a moment before. I was talking with one of our mutual friends. And I was just sure that she knew Kylie's recent news. And so I mentioned it. I said something about it. And my other friend did not know. And I ended up telling Kylie's story. And it was not my news to share in that moment. And I, it really created a mess. It, it hurt both of my friends in the process. And I was mortified. I still am. I can just feel the feelings in my body as I tell you about this story. And, and it was unintentional. I was not trying to hurt anyone in this moment. But unintentional or not, I know that it caused a great deal of pain. And to my friend Kylie's credit... She didn't just brush it away or pretend it didn't happen, but she came over to my house then later so that we could talk about what had happened. And I, and I remember we sat on these couches across from each other, and, and she said, Aaron, what happened? And so I explained my blunder and the assumption that I had made that was so wrong, and, and she shared with me the challenges that it had caused for her because I had shared that news before she was ready for it to be shared. And I remember... I looked at my friend Kylie feeling just this regret and and shame, and I said, Kylie, I am so sorry. You've been in a moment like that when you feel about this big, just vulnerable, full of shame, regret. I just wanted to crawl in a hole. (laughs) I'm telling you, in all of the ways that my friend Kylie could have responded in that moment, She began with three words that transformed the moment. She said, grace and peace. (laughs) Those were the first words out of her mouth after my apology. Grace and peace, she said to me. And I'm telling you, that just changed the moment right there. Suddenly there there was freedom and there was forgiveness and the shame was dispersed. And I knew that she wholeheartedly meant it. In fact, she hasn't even held it against me. She's still my friend. (laughs) I'm so grateful for that. But you know, I I think about that moment. I think about the power of those words that she spoke to me 
in that moment. Grace and peace. And the truth is, that became a moment, instead of shame, it became a moment that sparked joy for me. Because I believe the Holy Spirit was at work through my friend. So uh, you may know, if you know me very well, that those three words, grace and peace, are a part of my vocabulary. I say them a lot uh, to others because I know firsthand the power of those words. It's a powerful response, a gift, really, and a moment of vulnerability. And I know, I know, grace sparks joy. Grace and peace. You know who else loved to say grace and peace? Kylie didn't come up with it. The Apostle Paul loves to say grace and peace. And we find that in the New Testament. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote those words in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Titus, and Philemon. Do you think he knew and believed those words grace and peace? We find them so often uh, in his writing in the New Testament. Because grace was central to Paul's own story, and it's at the center of the gospel. In the book of Ephesians, uh, we find that statement very clearly. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, he writes, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is by grace that you have been saved. You see, right there, that is the good news of the gospel. The generous, pursuing, extravagant love of God that pursues us, that saves us, not because we've earned it, but because he loves us that way. And Paul knew deeply and personally the grace of God. In fact, when we look at Paul's story that we find in the New Testament, do you know his story begins with this grace and peace encounter? Now, when we first meet Paul in the New Testament, his name is Saul. And he is a destroyer of the church. In fact, he's participating in the public execution of Christians for their faith. If we say, oh, he was opposed to Jesus' followers, that is a gross uh, understatement of the situation. Saul was the kind of guy who would go house to house searching for Christians, dragging them out, putting putting them in prison or participating in their execution. He made it his mission to persecute followers of Jesus. There was hatred and hostility. That is what was driving his life. In Acts 26, he's described as furiously enraged. In fact, those are the words that he used to describe himself before Jesus, that he was furiously enraged. He was a one-man terror obsessed with obliterating these Jesus followers. So if this is the story of the man named Saul, then imagine what a scandal it is when this man named Saul encounters Jesus. Let's take a look at his story in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Let's pause here for a moment. As Saul encounters Jesus, you know, I, I think that Jesus knows that Saul has this zealous energy about him that can be redirected for the sake of the gospel. But you think, how in the world can that happen with a man like this? Here we have Saul who's encountered Jesus. Now he's in Damascus. He's blinded. Can you imagine? Jarred to his core. He's not eating or drinking for three days. Imagine, he's completely depleted. And in this moment, his entire identity, everything that he knows to be true about who he is and what his life is about, all of that is being transformed. So what can be done with a man like this? What good can it be as he sits there in the dark, hungry and thirsty? People are afraid of him. What can be done with a man like this? But God has a plan. And as we look at the story of Saul, we discover that God works through a person of great courage to come alongside Saul to play a key role in his transformation story. And that's at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I can imagine Ananias in a moment like this would say, wait, wait, wait. Did I hear you correctly? Did you say Saul of Tarsus? Saul of Tarsus. You want me to go to Saul of Tarsus. I wondered if, if Ananias heard this and thought, maybe God is calling me to be martyred. Because that's what you do, right? If you're going to be martyred, you go to Saul of Tarsus. This is what the mission sounds like. And, and as this goes on, I, you know, I think Ananias thought that maybe God needed some clarification <laughs> about that. Do you ever have those moments in your life? I have those moments in my life where you think maybe God doesn't understand what's unfolding here. Maybe he doesn't really know what he's asking me to do. Maybe I should clarify this for him. And so Ananias clarifies things for God. Verse 13, Lord... Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. 
And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Well, surely this will clear things up for God, right? Uh, God will finally understand the situation. But instead, of course, God is going to clear things up for Ananias because there's no mistake here. Ananias is being invited to participate in a miracle. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. Can you imagine being Ananias? Can you imagine the kind of energy and anticipation and probably trembling fear that you would have in a moment like that? I would say that this is a task that required great courage. So Ananias, with incredible faith, goes straight towards Saul, the man who wants to kill guys like Ananias. And I wonder if it took Ananias a little bit of time to figure out, what am I going to say to him? What do you say in a moment like that? What do you say? Do, do you start out by, by just taking him to task, by, by calling him a jerk and telling him all the horrible things he's done and the consequences that have been uh, had by all of these Jesus followers because of the pain that he's inflicted? Do you take that moment to make sure Saul really understands what a deplorable person he actually is? Do you take the moment to do that? Well, that's not what he did. In fact, I believe that what we find here in Scripture is one of the most powerful grace and peace moments in all the Bible. I think what we find here is an incredible thing that Ananias does in a moment like this. Ananias walks straight towards Paul. And do you know what Saul, who becomes Paul, and do you know what the first word out of his mouth is? Brother. Imagine that. Brother. He calls him brother. That's a word of belonging. That's a statement of unity. That we're together. That I'm with you. I'm not writing you off. But that we're together. We belong to one another. And the only reason that someone could ever say that to someone like Saul is because of Jesus. Ananias was proclaiming the brand new start of Saul because of Jesus. Here's how it unfolded, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Oh, the power of a word, brother. Can you imagine how Saul felt hearing that word? 
to be called brother by someone who just a few days before he was seeking to destroy and to kill? See, Ananias was not speaking to Saul's past. He was speaking to Paul's future. (laughs) Ananias was the first human (laughs) to speak this new reality over Saul's life, to believe God. This was no small act of faith. You know, I wonder how that moment, not not just the moment there on the road when he was blinded by the light. Of course, that would be a moment that he remembers for his entire life. But friends, I also believe that a moment that Paul never forgot as long as he lived was when Ananias called him brother. I believe that changed him, that that moment changed him. That in in that moment for Paul, when he was completely vulnerable, when he probably sat there in his shame, in his disorientation, when he was undone and raw, came this voice that spoke grace and peace to him by calling him brother to cover his shame. Can you imagine the joy that that brought to his life? You know, when, when Paul writes his letters that we find in the New Testament, and when, in, when he says grace and peace over and over and over, that's a proclamation of joy. And I believe that the reason why Paul says grace and peace so much is because that's the power of what he's encountered in his own life. The power of grace and peace that he wants others to encounter as well. And Paul knew what what we must know too. This grace so generously given, it may be free, but it is not cheap. It is the costly grace of Jesus covering sin, and it cost Jesus everything. And friends, make no mistake, this this grace and peace that's so freely given to us from God, do you know, it costs us something when we give it to others. And this is how we're invited to participate in the kingdom. This is how we're invited to pick up our cross every day and follow Jesus. Because it does cost us something. When we participate in this kingdom reality of grace and peace, we're invited to participate just like Ananias was. It's not easy. It's not easy to sit on the couch across from your friend who's just hurt you and say, grace and peace. (laughs) I know that wasn't easy for Kylie to do that. It cost her something, and it changed everything in our relationship. And friends, it'll cost you something too to offer grace and peace. It'll cost you something, but it's worth it. Because when we do that, we get to participate in the reality of the kingdom. We get to participate in what God is doing. And I want to ask you today, who in your life needs to encounter some grace and peace? Who in your life, in your everyday life, needs to encounter some grace and peace? Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's one of your coworkers or a neighbor or somebody that you interact with frequently. 
Maybe you're thinking about someone who's discouraged that life is just a struggle these days. Or someone who's overwhelmed and trying to balance everything. Or, or someone who's afraid or, or anxious. Think about how difficult it is to feel vulnerable in the midst of a struggle, to feel alone. And I wonder what might happen if you were the person to speak some grace and peace, to speak truth over that person's life, to call them brother, to call them sister, to call them friend, to help them know that they are noticed and seen and loved. My friends, that's so powerful. Or maybe God's uh, nudging you today that you need to offer some grace and peace to someone who annoys you Ooh. or who's wronged you or someone who's let you down or offended you. You know, when we offer grace and peace, it's a picture of forgiveness. And let me be, let me be very clear about that. When I say forgiveness and when we say grace and peace in the face of an offense, that doesn't excuse the wrong. It doesn't diminish the offense that occurred or the weight of it. But in a moment like that, when we offer grace and peace, we are trusting God to carry the weight of the offense. He'll carry it instead of us. And we instead can offer grace and peace. It's not an easy thing to do, but it brings so much freedom. It sparks so much joy, not only for those who hear it, but when it is on our lips, it sparks joy for us as well. Because it's the essence of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. And friends, consider how desperately our world needs to hear some grace and peace these days. You know, we live in a world... Um, where that's not the phrase that rolls off of our lips. I think we live in a world that cultivates rage. And we, we think, you know, if, if someone disagrees with me, if they offend me, if they have a different stance on an issue than I do, then I should be enraged. But friends, that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is grace and peace. And that, that doesn't mean that the issues don't matter. I know there are things that matter deeply to us and should that we disagree about. But what it means is that the posture of love that we have towards one another matters more than our position on the issue at hand. Can I say that again? <laughs> it means that our posture of love towards one another matters more than our position on the issue at hand. Friends, that's the hard work of the kingdom. Grace is powerful. <laughs> it diffuses anger. It diffuses rage. It's a welcome relief in our enraged culture. You know, we, we might... Uh, we might think, we might tend to, to believe the myth that shouting with rage makes our voice heard. But that's not the case. 
The truth is love amplifies our voices. And I think our world is hungry for some grace and peace. These are kingdom values, and we're invited, friends, to live as citizens of the kingdom. And living this way sparks joy for people who encounter us, and it sparks joy in our own hearts as well. What a, what a humbling thought it is that God invites us to participate, to join him, to help others experience God's grace in their lives. But I want to remind us today as we close that that, that grace and peace that we offer others, that flows from what we have experienced in our own lives. That's where it starts. Because we've experienced God's grace and peace. And I wonder today if maybe you need to experience God's grace and peace in your own life today. Because if we're going to be people that spark joy around us, we have to experience it first. So maybe you need to be reminded today. Maybe today as you walk into this place or as you tune in online today, maybe you can just feel the weight of some things that you carry today. Or it may be that, that today being Mother's Day brings some things to the surface in your life and in your heart today, things that are just hard and heavy. Maybe as you, as you listen today, maybe you have never experienced God's grace in your life. And for the very first time, today is the day to trust him, to receive forgiveness, to have a fresh start, to know his grace and peace. Or maybe for you, it's just been a long time since you've allowed the grace and peace of your heavenly father to soak in. Maybe you walk into this place today feeling discouraged or feeling like a failure or not good enough. And today your heavenly father is whispering over your life. You are loved unconditionally. Perhaps right now in these moments. We can pause and, and acknowledge the places in our minds and hearts that are places of pain, anxiety, failure, or weariness. And hear the creator whisper grace and peace over our lives, over our hearts. And to experience the joy of the Holy Spirit ministering to our hearts today. Scripture says the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And he waits on high to have compassion for you. Friends, I, I want to encourage you to pause in these moments and to experience the grace and peace that God has for you. As we close the service today, we're going to sing a, a wonderful anthem together. And I want it to be an anthem of joy as we remember who he says we are because of the way that he loves us. Will you stand and pray with me? Oh, our gracious God, we pause in your presence today so grateful for the way that you love us, for the way that you see us. 
And God, we just pause today and we thank you for your grace and peace. God, I pray for each one of us that you would help us to be people who who join you in that mission of grace and peace for the sake of the kingdom. Help us, God, to have the courage to speak that into other people's lives, even when it costs us something. God, give us courage to do that. And Lord, I pray for each person listening today. Lord, you know them through and through, and you know the burdens that they carry. And so, God, I pray today that for each one of us, that your grace and peace would be felt in the center of our spirits, that we would know your nearness and your love and your extravagant grace towards us. God, may we encounter you today. We thank you, God, for the way that you love us. With grateful hearts, we pray, and together we say, amen.